Well, we stand with you as you uh, take this weekend to um, be with family. If it's in the, um, for some I know that uh, you're alone and others who have just family as kind of a pocket of people you're with and whatever, we're just with you as we um, honor uh, those this Memorial Day. We are in a series called um, Journey with Joy. And for me, Throughout my life, uh, the journey with joy before God has been much like a roller coaster and, and has been kind of up and down and, and so often dependent on what's going around me and what I see. Um, I received this email from someone this week and I thought I'd share it with you. It's a perspective from someone who is, um, journeyed for a while and has learned how to kind of level out that path. And so I, I just wanted to read it. It says, my mom has stage four cancer and she gives updates each week to her Facebook friends. And when I read today's update, it made me think of you and what you've been preaching on. And so I thought you might enjoy today's update. And so her mother writes, chemo number 99, which I take must be 99 days into the chemo treatments. And this was posted on the 20th of this month. And she writes, living joyously is a choice. And I need to choose gladness many times daily. It's been easy this week. I've had a week of chemo vacation. The weather is becoming beautiful. Stores are beginning to open. I have a wonderful husband and family and grandchildren who are extraordinary and love Jesus. And I've been able to do fun sewing. And no one has told me I'm fat. And I read this as... She went on and said, my virus test on Monday was negative. My CA125 tumor marker was exactly the same as the last time. I'm doing well, although I can't seem to get the strength back as I'd like. God is good, and we give thanks for each day. We give thanks for you, our special friends. And then she says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. And I read that, and I thought of my wife's aunt, who was at 96. We would talk to her. She was um, alone. She was a, a reader, and she couldn't read, and she was at the place where she was a walker, and she'd walk often, but she was not able to walk like she was. And she was in a, a position where all her peers had passed away, and so she was lonely. And um, we would ask her, how are you doing? And she would respond remarkably well. I know the journey with joy is a journey. And if you are one of those individuals who just seem to have joy and it radiates all the time, you're kind of going, what's the deal? It's not that hard. But for some, you're in this position where you're going, boy, I'd like to learn over the course of my life how to be joyful. And so what this series has been about is, is taking... As God has taken the children of Israel, he's brought them through the Red Sea. He now brings them on a journey, and they've had a number of different experiences along the way, often when they've been deprived, often when their circumstances haven't been good. And the first three stories are about basic needs of survival. They're thirsty. They need water. And the water they get is not good. And then there's a miracle as they um, listen and, and turn to God. And then, then the next stage, they're hungry. Their food supply is running out. And so he gives them manna and he gives them quail. And then on the third stage, once again, they come to this place in Rephidim where they 
see the water is really good and the wells are great, but they can't get to them because of a group of people called the Amalekites. And so they go off, Moses goes, and he strikes a rock, as God tells him, and they have their water and they're fulfilled. And the first three are of survival, provision of food and water. This next one is interesting because it is Memorial Day weekend, and this is the first one where we see actual battle take place. And the fundamental need of survival here is, is delivery from enemies. Can you journey with joy when you feel threatened and under attack? What happens in your life when you have someone opposing you? Do you see that as an obstacle or do you see that as an opportunity for God to do some things in you and around you to reveal himself to you in a new way? Jesus seemed to think that was possible. He closes his beatitudes, his blessings, his happy are you statements with Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were treated the same way. So as we go through this, that's in Matthew 5, as we go through this this stage right now in their journey and we see they are now up against an enemy who is um, attacking them, raiding them, so to speak, How are they going to respond to that? What's going to happen? We've learned in the first lessons, you turn to God, you listen to God, and then you do what God says. Moses modeled it, God decreed it, and then the next time they turn to God, they listen to God, they do what God says, but he now needs to teach them to do everything he says, be fully, totally dependent. The lesson today is pray and pray and continue to pray and do it with joy, trusting that God has your best in mind and a victory for you. So let's look at these verses. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 9. It says the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And this idea of came and attacked is interesting. It wasn't an outright battle, but more like guerrilla warfare. They were picking off the stragglers. Later on, when Deuteronomy is written, and it's after they are getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses reminds them, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 through 18, the Amalekites came and they attacked. And he says, and so don't forget what the Amalek did to you on the road after you left Egypt. How he attacked you when you were tired, barely able to put one foot in front of another, mercilessly cut off your stragglers and had no regard for God. And so he says, this is what's going on. And he says, now I want you to choose some, not all, just some of your men. The idea being that they're to go out and fight with some of the people who have an aptitude for fighting. But he talks to Joshua. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. And the the name Joshua is interesting. It's the first time it comes up in the book of Exodus. His real name was Hosea, which means saves. Moses changed it, taking the name Yahweh, that name given to Moses for the people of Israel and he puts before it the Yah so it's Yeshua in Hebrew which is the same as Joshua which means the Lord saves it's the very same name of Jesus the Greek Jesus is Jesus and so when you look at this Hebrew name Yeshua when people would come to Jesus there was in a sense they were saying as they called out his name the Lord saves would you heal us would you forgive us would you would you care for us would you would you fight for us. They called him the same name. So here's Joshua, first time shows up. And and then he says this. Um, Moses says, tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. 
And there's two important things to note about this. Moses took the same staff that was used again and again through the plagues as the authority and power of God. There's a real sense of what he's saying is, I'm going to send some of you out into battle, but I want you to remember, you're not going out by yourself. This is not for you to defeat. I want you to remember that God is with you, fighting with you. In fact, I will be up on the hill with the staff that shows the presence of God. So if you ever get worried, look up. Because I will be up there in battle, in prayer for you. And then the second thing I think is important, it's the key lesson. The idea that Moses stood on the top of the hill. He went, in a sense, to the throne room of God. So some went down in the valley, and they were in the battle. He went up, in a sense, to the throne room of God. That's the idea where he came before God, and he pleaded that God would bring victory for his people. So if you go on, you see in Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, and I'm just going to say real quickly, um, in the Old Testament, a posture of praying wasn't on your knees. It was often a posture when you were just interceding for God. They would walk, and they would talk, and they would say, God of the heavens. And so he's, he's praying in this sense with his hands up before God. So with his hands held up high, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hand grew tired, Aaron and Hur, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that the hands remained steady. The word steady means the idea of persevering faithful till sunset. And what I want you to, to recognize is kind of the importance of prevailing prayer. How important it is to prevail in prayer. Part of your joy is going to be dependent on just communicating to God. And that doesn't mean just telling him things. It means listening. It means being in his presence. It means waiting at times to hear what God is calling you to do. And the important truth in the main lesson in this is that as Moses lifted up his hands, they prevailed. And when he put his hands down, it was now then that the enemy prevailed. So here is the the emphasis. Verse 11, as long as Moses held his hands up, you go into verse 12, there's the emphasis on this. When Moses' hands grew tired, he took a stone, put it under him. Verse 12, it goes on, and Aaron and Ur held up his hands and remained steady. There's a sense where it's kind of looking at this, and I look at the Old Testament, one of the reasons I love the Old Testament, it's kind of like a picture book. It's written for children. There's stories, and a lot of times people go, it's harder, I like the New Testament, I can get the abstract understanding. These are stories which you have to kind of pull out, what is God teaching you? And it's pretty simple here. Moses held up his hands, they began to win. His arms went down in prayer, and he wasn't praying, and they began to lose. And I think the, the, the lesson here in joy is don't expect every trial that you go through to be answered quickly. That happened with the provision of water and the bread and the quail. Because he was teaching an important lesson that if you turn to God, you listen to God, he will do, and you do what he says, he will deliver. But here he's going into one more thing. He says there will be times in your life that, that you will need to persist and sustain yourself in prayer for the victory. So I want to share with you th- about four things that I think are important 
around this idea of prayer that allows us to stay connected to God, who is the one who is our warrior, our, our shepherd, our king who rules over all, our healer, our rock who can't be shaken. When you keep yourself and you remember who he is and who you are in the midst of opposition, you're going against difficult times. If you keep that sense of identity, there is where your joy is. Now you're going to release God's presence into these situations. It's an important thing to know. You don't have to just sit back and go, oh, I can't do anything about it, or why didn't God do it right away? I prayed once. No, he's talking about sustained, um, persevering kind of prayer because in that, not only is God at work, but he's doing something in you. That's really important. He's actually allowing for you to learn not to go like this, but to begin to kind of have that leveled off sense of dependence and trust that keeps you in joy. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit says is love, which is joy. Joy is one of the first things that God wants to build into our lives. So here you go. Sustained, preserving prayer is not a trivial matter. I want you to understand that it is not a trivial thing to pray. It's vitally important to accomplishing the Lord's will. This idea, well, I can pray, I don't really need to. It isn't something you don't need to do. That's what this passage is. When he's up there and he's praying, things are prevailing. So it requires conviction. Conviction is important. Do you really believe that your prayers make a difference? The battle below was mirrored by the battle above. When he prayed, the kingdom prevailed. Here's the blunt truth. And I, I, I think, just hear this and just think about it. You will not be committed to sustained and persevering prayer that prevails until you are convinced that it makes a difference. You may hear sermons about it. You may study it. You may tell others that you think it's important, but you're not going to do it unless you really believe it's important, unless you have a conviction that this is making a difference in the area that I'm praying. And it's important to have that understanding. If you think of the cross, I love this, and I'll make this kind of a quick example of this. What we do in prayer in the throne of God when we are in that place of the Spirit as we pray with with others, it does make a difference. Jesus showed us that. Do you know, we always, we look at the cross, heroes of the victory won. It was won there. Physically, we saw it. It happened in the spiritual realm. But you know where the real battle was? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't believe Jesus would have been able to walk out that victory if he hadn't won it in the Garden. In fact, it's so important to him that Jesus says to his other disciples, watch and pray. He knew that if they watched and they prayed, they would themselves be able to stand in a place of joy. But they were too tired. They weren't really convinced. But Jesus was. And it was in the garden that he said, Father, your will be done, not mine. And so in prayer, he then moved to the next place where he actually walked it out into the physical realm. He won in prayer, but it still took time for it to take place before it was actually evidence in the realm of the physical that you could see. So God uses... Um, the Old Testament like a book, and it's important. Here's the second thing. Uh, a sustained, persevering prayer is not for the faint of heart, okay? It is a battle. As much as the battle that was taking place in the valley, the battle of prayer is not easy. It requires commitment. Moses, Aaron, and her, they knew the outcome of the battle below was determined by their commitment in prayer above. They knew what was happening. They were convinced And so they were committed. 
Jesus taught this truth quite often. On a number of occasions, he was really quite direct. That's a sane, persevering prayer is what moves the kingdom forward. If we're not doing that, um, that's why it's so important. We talk about um, on every Wednesday of the first of the month, we come together as a group of people in our church and we plant the stake because we know all the activity we do is just activity. It might be helpful and good, but what's eternal seems to happen when we come together in prayer. And that requires commitment. So we say we're going to get up at 6 in the morning on Wednesdays, first Wednesday of the month. Because we believe it's important. We believe that it's a conviction that it's going to make a difference and we're committed to do it. Um, he gives a couple of illustrations and, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but one of the first ones that he gives around this idea of commitment is, uh, is when the disciples are watching him go off and pray another time, he comes back and the disciples go, there's something to this prayer thing. I gotta get a grip on, what's he doing? And they say, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gives this wonderful, um, we use it almost like it's poetry. It is powerful. It's about our identity in God. He says, here's how you pray. You know your father is Abba. He's your daddy. And you know your daddy's going to provide all he wants and does. And he wants to bring heaven to earth through you. If you know that he is who he is and this relationship is there, then he goes on to this next thing, which I, for the longest time, didn't quite understand. Until I understood that our identity in God and we take ourselves in that place or that place of joy, it allows for us to sustain prayer. Because he goes on and he says, here's what, he goes, I want to teach you about prayer. He says, um, suppose it's midnight and your neighbor has a surprise guest show up. He has no bread. He comes over to your house. He knocks on your door. The window's open. It's the summer. And he said, hey, I got someone here. And Eastern culture was really important. You feed the people who come. You're up in bed. You've put the kids down. You're tired. You're, and, and, and he's just knocking. He doesn't care. It says in scripture that he was shameless. He pounded on the door. He yelled. He didn't care what neighbors thought. He knew how important this was. And Jesus gives this as a model of the kind of commitment. I have a dog who when it's sometimes like three in the morning and she'll be downstairs and, and, and she'll go, this bark, and, and there's different barks that dogs have. So, you know, I'm a little, like Dr. Doolittle, I can understand the a couple of them. And this one just goes, whoop. And it'll be like about 10 seconds apart. And she'll do it until I get up. Or usually until my wife goes, because I'm deaf in one ear, so if I'm, you know, I don't hear anything. But anyway, that's the point. Jesus knew how important sustained persevering prayer was. He was convinced it made a difference. He was committed to it. I could give you one of the persistent widow. Go up a little bit in Luke. Luke 11, go to Luke 18. Why is, you know, Jesus keeps talking about it. Here's this widow and he, she wouldn't let go and she kept just badgering and knocking, um, this, this judge who didn't care about people or about others, about God, but yet he did care because she tired him out. There's this sense. He's not saying, God, you need to tire him out to get your way. He's saying, God, here's your need. He knows your need, but he's, he's doing something that has to take place out here that maybe you can't control, but through your prayers, it allows for God to do the work that's going out there. And so he says, will the son of man, when he comes, find faith in this parable? And he says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable, show them they should always pray and not give up. He modeled this truth. He went out often on his own. At one point, he says he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to the mountain to pray, which leads to this next point. Sustained, persevering prayer. Catch this. It's not a solo sport. It isn't. 
It's best done with others. It requires community. You're not going to do it if you're, conv- you're not convinced. You're not going to do it unless you make the commitment to say, I'm going to put some time, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for this. And you probably will tire if you don't bring others around you in it. There's something powerful. I have to tell you, over the years, um, I, um, I do really love to pray. I, I don't do it as well on my own. I do it better often when I'm with people. There is something about bringing my needs and requests. <laughs> it's the reason we believe this is so important that we do things like 24-7 prayer. We didn't do it and line that up for people to do it alone. We lined it up people would be with other people. Aaron um, and her, her went with Moses. Moses knew he needed to take him. Jesus knew he needed to take Peter, James, and John. It wasn't just to teach him. You won't do it well alone. You need others. And that's why drive-through prayer, we do with others. That's why we have a prayer force that brings people together. If you're not a part of the prayer force, we'd love for you to just kind of write in and say, what's it about? We'd love for you to be a part of the prayer force. That's why there's groups that meet Monday mornings, Monday afternoons, Tuesday afternoons, Wednesday evenings. Primarily, they do it just to pray and also throughout the week. So I we encourage small groups. Small groups, you at least can get a taste of prayer. You may not spend a long, lengthy time in prayer, which I really believe is important, but you at least in small groups get the opportunity to share requests and people are praying for you throughout the week. Because when we have these things that come against us, we're not called to do it alone. So Exodus chapter 17, verses 13 through 16 let me read the last of these because it all has to do now with um, the outcome. It talks about how, why it's important, but it's also important um, because I, I want you to know the sustained prevailing prayer that you do is never wasted by God. It, not one second you spend turning to God will ever be wasted. And it requires the confidence to know that. So it says in, in verses seven, uh, 13 through 16, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered to make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. That's a new name here. And he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. The outcome of preparing prayer is significant on a number of accounts. Because when you do begin to pray, you also have to realize that you need to do it with your hands kind of loosely. As best you know how, you bring before God what you believe in your heart. And as you bring it before God, sometimes God works in your heart and he begins to move things and you start to pray differently for things. And he starts to, to do things in your character that, that um, cause you to see things even differently. But the, the key is this. Make sure that you, you come with what is in your heart. God wants to know what's in your heart. Bring it before him. Listen to him. Pray it before him and put it there and hold it there and let God bring the outcome he sees most important right now. And the reason I say that is because when you look at this word, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army, some of your versions will translate it overwhelmed or defeated. And it really doesn't translate it, I think, as well as it could. It's a very rare Hebrew word. It's the idea that, um, uh, that at that point there was kind of a partial win. They were able to chase off the raiders so they could make their next step in the journey. It was a partial victory, if you want to look at it that way. It, it got them just far enough to get to where they were going next. 
And I think this is important to know because sometimes God calls you to prayer over something for a long period of time and there's partial victories in the way. There's things he's doing in your heart. There's things he's shifting in other things around you. But as he moves those forward, do not get discouraged. Because um, you're going to face maybe this thing again. I, 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 early in my Christian life, I kind of go, God, I prayed for this, but it seems like I'm here again or in our marriage or in a work situation. What I think is interesting is part of what happens is it's like climbing a hill. It's like you're going up a switchback. And the further you go up, every time you kind of come across a place that you were praying before, but every time God's doing something more out here as well as in here. So there's partial victory. Some of the battles you're going to face again. Sometimes you'll just win as much as God sees necessary at the time. So don't be discouraged you're facing a battle that you thought you'd defeated. Just rejoice that this God loves you. So the next thing I want you to know is there will be victory. He says in the future there will be complete victory. Verse 14 makes it. Write it on a scroll. Just know I will completely blot out the scroll they would take when they would take off something. They didn't have erasers. They would scratch that parchment until it was blotted out, so to speak. And that took effort over time. If you look at the Amalekites against Israel throughout the history of Israel, there was a number of hundreds of years before the Amalekites were completely um, removed. If Gideon faced them, the King Saul opposed the Amalekites. King Hezekiah, now further down into the Israel's history, um, nearly erased them all, but it isn't until Esther. You get to Esther, and Esther faces Haman, who is really the last relative, and you see then the blotting out. God promises you there will be future victory. And the last I want to share is, is this distinctive victory. You just have to note how this happens. It's a twofold battle. One is up in the, the realm of heaven. They're praying in the throne room. And the other part of that is they're um, down there fighting. And then the other ones are kind of over here watching. Uh, what I love about this is the first three things, the people of Israel did nothing God just provided. Now God's saying, I want you to step into this with me. I'm going to take the best of you in prayer as well as the best of you as you live out your life. And as you do, as I command you, you can watch partial victories. There will be a future victory. Know that I'm going to use you. You're part of his dream team. He wants to do this with you. I want to encourage you. I want you to know that, as I've said, you know, smile. I believe that will change things. Internally, if you smile first, it will change things around you. We talked about having those three pennies and, and giving thanks is a practical way. Just start in the morning and take one and put it from one pocket to the next in the afternoon and in the evening and begin to build into your life Thanksgiving. These will all work to bring joy. One last thing I want you to think about is to, when you get up in the morning, maybe when you do the Thanksgiving, you can just say very, very quickly to the Lord, today, this is the day the Lord has made. It's, it's in the Psalms. It's a great thing to start it with. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today I have an opportunity to bring more of heaven to earth. Just start your days like that. I believe it will bring joy. I'm going to pray for you, and then Bruce is going to come up and share just a few things as we kind of um, close the service. So please just hang on. we just got a few more things to share. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the way you have gifted us. Thank you for the way that you have told us that as we um, continue to sustain our faith and trust in you and we persevere, that you will prevail through our prayers. You use us. You use our daily activity. You use our time in prayer to move things forward in our lives and the lives of others. And so, God, thank you. 
I, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.